of the episode we have a lot to talk about a lot has happened i just want to take a moment to pour out a little bit of my water uh in solidarity with diamond and silk uh fellow truth seekers who were unjustly kicked off of or banned from the fox news channel <coughs> psyop um uh after simply asking questions about the nature of COVID-19 confirmed cases, the nature of the possibility that bleach and or Lysol might be a cure, the the nature of whether or not you need to uh, self-quarantine, basically just asking a lot of questions, right? And in Fox News, uh, you, you hate to see them come out anti-truth, right? You know, you hate them to see them come out as a, as a, as a, as a, as a shill, but you know, I, I surprised, but, well, no, not surprised, but disappointed. So when are we going to have them on the show? Honestly, so <laughs> never, first of all, and for, for reasons that are n- numerous and almost endless, but in, tr- and like in trying to come up with something to say about, I hate to have to admit this, but in trying to come up with like something to say about them beginning of this, like whatever we do, uh, I realized how little I know about Diamond and Silk. Like, I feel like I've been hearing their name for years now, like yeah. three, four years since 2016, right? Since like the first Trump campaign, obviously. And I know so little about them. I don't know their last names. I didn't know if they were related. I didn't know how they met. I didn't know if Diamond and Silk were their real names. To be honest, and this is going to sound fucked up, but I looked it up after because I thought it was kind of rude at this point. This is this is like the second or third time I mentioned this, right? Is that like I was always operating on the assumption that Diamond and Silk were being announced and positioned in accordance with their names. And so I, but then I realized I had no idea which one was Diamond and which one was Silk. Like and I looked it up and it, it, they were who I thought they were. But <laughs> if they hadn't been, I would have been very uh, my mind would have been. Flooded. <laughs> I guess I've mostly just kind of avoided using any of my brain cells to process anything related to Diamond and Silk. That was the thing. I, I didn't know anything about Diamond and Silk and I felt bad about it because I, I was going to make fun of them. I felt like it was inappropriate to know nothing about them. So I went to the Wikipedia page. And yeah. what I, so did you know in 2019, Steve King represented of Steve King uh, sponsored an act in Congress called the Diamond and Silk Act. Yeah, didn't he name it after them ironically? No, no, it was it was totally earnest. Okay. I'm just curious, was the representative part for Steve King like a, a respect thing or was that just to distinguish him from like the author? <laughs> I'm assuming this is Steve King White's first. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, all right. Is he not representative? Oh, no, no, it's just like representative Steve King is like instead of just Steve King. <laughs> like, so I was just making sure, I was just trying to clarify. <laughs> There are a lot of Steve King's a very popular name. Don't, don't, don't interrupt, honestly. <laughs> so like, I had totally blocked this out. 2019 was like a decade long. Yeah. Like the Diamond and Silk Act of 2019. That just sounds like a law they passed in Japan to limit the number of version exclusive Pokemon you can have in each one. <laughs> they should do a show with Dr. Jason Johnson. Right. Not, yeah. I mean, oh, that would be a good show. Like a crossfire, maybe, you know, throw Tucker Carlson every, in there, on there every once no, in a while. No, you, th- you throw Sean King in the middle. That new Gavin McInnes channel, Censored TV, they do crossfire with a... Uh, Diamond Silk Johnson and uh, Sean King. Moderating since he's with his sensibilities. Go on. I honestly think that Diamond and Silk would roll with Dr. Jason Johnson. Like, easy. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably.
That is a bit terrifying. The whole thing's terrifying. Honestly, solidarity with fellow truth seekers, uh, Diamond and Silk. It's been a rough week for the conspiracy theory community. Um, obviously, as you are aware, aliens have been confirmed. Excuse me? Yeah, did you not see the Pentagon release the alien, the alien video? No. I feel like, yeah, <clears throat> that the alien thing would have been something I noticed. Yeah, seriously. I, I know that 2020's been a lot, but what? Are you trying to gaslight me? Just- <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no idea what you're talking about. All right. To be fair, I, I'm just Googling some stuff, and most of these things say hours ago. So you, know, you just said cuts the, a little slack. Pentagon sold us aliens are real. Wait, hold up. Like what? <laughs> yeah, the, the Pentagon released that UFO photo. I mean, obviously it's bullshit, but like I was doing a whole thing, and you made me feel like I had lost my mind. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, like nine hours, two hours ago. What the fuck? I feel like I watched. I don't know. Is this is this a different video than I watched? Like yeah. now, I don't know if I'm having deja vu or if this is videos that I've watched previously. So the last or thing what? I heard was that they they and I listened to an interview with the pilot who was talking about how he had tracked this this thing, and he said that there was somebody. There was another video of the exact same object that he tracked that was actual visual representation where he just had the radar instrumentation tracking it, and this looks like they declassified the visual. Holy shit. Yeah, there was some wow. sort of, This is going to come across as weird as I'm the one saying it because I, I love stuff like this. Yeah, this, this is a flat this, earth guy saying, no, this is fake. Yeah, we're both like, no, it's totally aliens, but go ahead. I'll put it this way. It's not, it's not necessarily disinformation. It's, you know, it, it's, you know, meaningless spectacle to distract the sheep from, like, you know, the fact that their democracy is being stolen from them in front of their eyes. You yeah. know, obviously it's not going to work <laughs> because point. no one gives a shit about aliens. It's 2020. I've seen Independence Day 37 times. I don't care about aliens. <laughs> like, but, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that, it's going to sound kind of fucked up, but like if aliens are real, like if aliens do exist, then the government already knows about it in some form or another. Uh, then like they've already probably made contact and the government's just hiding it or some shit. And this is either them releasing nonsense or them getting ready to soft, you know, soft push them into the fucking spotlight or aliens of this of this level of technological advancement don't exist. The, the idea that like aliens are just starting to make contact or just going to start making contact now or like whatever is complete like nonsense, complete nonsense. Yeah, oh, no, it's like they've already made contact and we definitely already fucked that up. <laughs> this, is, like, this is like one of those things where you're they're like it's like uh, two people that know each each other and have a messed up past and they're meeting another group of people and we're just trying to avoid that awkward stage of them explaining why they're acting the way they are around each other <laughs> like, i mean there's no way like if they're out there if aliens are out there there's no way that they haven't made contact and that we like i said didn't mess that contact also, aliens aren't real because space isn't real so like that that you know frankly <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> once, once you start once you start talking about space i lose all respect for you 100 <laughs> percent but let's get into the meat of the let's keep the the meat of the episode. Uh, no, I mean, like, it, it consp- I, I enjoy my conspiracy theories. Yep, the alien shit came out. But, you know, but you know, it's, it's not just me, though. It's been a very conspiracy-heavy week. And honestly, I th- I know I say that all the time, but between, like, all the various conspiracies being propagated by far-right media regarding COVID-19 and, like, the Democratic Party and their, like, media apparatus just descending into madness over Biden's rape allegations and getting more cooperation, there are conspiracy theories all around. It's just only some of them are being identified as conspiracies. Yeah. Well, that's the same thing we said about Russiagate back two years ago. Russiagate has taken a, you know, I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole when it comes to like the Biden terror read allegations, uh, because I don't I don't know necessarily what more can be said about that from 
our vantage point, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Because ultimately, like... We believe Terra, and that's about it. We believe Terra, and even less than going that far, we, you know, not to, they're not going to fucking pat myself on the back until I break my spine over this, but, like, we... we <laughs> position the lack of belief of Democrats as problematic within their own like framework of understanding the world right their own like ideological and moral framework and that for me was indicative of the inability for liberalism to contend with any real threat because it's just uh you know it's just it's just a show ideology like anything that any moral value that they have any sort of ideological or political standpoint uh, position that they espouse will immediately become dissolved once it's like no longer a viable strategy for differentiating themselves from the far right even if it's something that they objectively should care about like the climate or believing women right which was kind of hinted at or like foreshadowed with the the whole relatively like relativity argument of well republicans are bad so if we're less bad then you got to vote for us and so it it kind of foreshadows the idea that well then these there's not going to be any singular issue that's going to be a place to draw a line even the belief science the methodology of just them talking about belief science and the utilization of that phrase is obfuscating the fact that yeah they believe science but they're not going to fucking do anything about it and they haven't done anything about it for 30 years so you know that they're objectively better than republicans because they say oh yeah we believe science okay well then legislate like it no we can't well you know what i I don't want to like you know i I don't want to let the malfeasance or lack of moral courage or clarity of liberals affect how i cover various events so we might as well do uh you know at least a quick update on the terror breach story because from my perspective the only real thing to talk about is the fact that now we have i think five independent corroborators of her story the most recent the most recent ones was her mother, the, the audio in transcript of her mother's call into Larry King show live yep. in 1993. The tension was brought to it by Ryan Grimm over at the intercept. Yep. And as soon as he published his article within minutes, the right wing was utilizing that uh, video. Then he posited that they had it ready to go. They were absolutely sitting on that, but not only are they sitting on that evidence but they're sitting on other evidence i would hazard of biden's you know most likely you know problematic relationships with women in the past uh you know not to cast aspersions beyond their initial accusation at, at this point but like if they're not sitting on that they're sitting on some other opposition research and how much really do they need honestly like we spent we spent fucking six months hearing from like dumbass liberals about how like they were going to drop a new story about about bernie's past that was going to fucking blow the less mind out of their fucking asshole only to come up with like one time bernie complimented cuba to an old lady while helping her cross the street and it's like oh <laughs> is it is that what it's supposed to make me hate him like like right and like you know now they're being forced to cover it because it's impossible to ignore right. and i mean the other in uh other than her mother and the liar king her neighbor said that shortly after the event happened tara talked to her about it and described it in exactly the same terms that she's describing now as uh rape and penetration so you know that's happened back in the 90s and the woman said yeah and i'm still gonna vote for biden so it's it, you can't even make the argument that oh she's just uh 
right wing leftist Russiagate person. This is someone who's actually an active Biden supporter who's corroborating Tara's story, which now means that you have, like you said, five people, which is way more people than Blasey Ford with way more details shared that were shared contemporaneously with the event. And they're treating it as if it's nothing. You know, the sad aspect of this is that in the future, the Republican Party will use this sort of uh, waffling uh, on essentially believing women, a tentpole of their post-2016, like, brand uh, as, you know, as a partisan thing. Yeah. I can't wait for Roy Moore's re-election campaign. That's one of the reasons why liberals have struggled so much is because when Republicans criticize them, they're generally not necessarily wrong. It's just like they're usually worse, right. but they're not wrong about the criticism. I mean, sometimes the things that, that they're worse about are things they don't pretend to care about, though, which is which is something that, like, yeah, you know, that too. it's not a compliment that like their Republicans are openly evil, it, despite, you know, hiding it around a thin veneer of like evangelical Christianity. But like, you know, there is I think that there is a certain element of like. Trump not necessarily coming across as obviously fake and obviously disingenuous in the same way as pop normal politicians do. Like Trump is obviously a fucking liar. Uh, you know, even the going back to the bleach thing, like yeah. going back to the drink bleach thing, going from like, hey, you know, let's let's inject Lysol into your eyeballs to solve coronavirus to like that was actually just a complex type of satire and you just have to have a high IQ to get my speeches. Right, which I mean the whole thing was stupid, obviously it's a respiratory illness, so you should boil the bleach if you're gonna do anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. I don't do that. I, I hope our audience doesn't have to be told that, but don't Clearly, do that. Should not, like, Trump basically went out there and said you should mix all of the chemicals under <laughs> yeah, your fucking mix some mustard gas like, in, listen, your, uh, listen, in your tub. Yeah. Going back to uh, the accusations against Biden in, in the Democratic response, you know, thinking of the Kavanaugh hearing, it's like two things are going to occur in the future. The first is that the Democratic Party is going to try to revamp the narrative about why they oppose Kavanaugh, right? You know, you're going to have them going from like, okay, we were believing all women and he was unfit for the Supreme Court to we were just asking questions about, and looking for more answers and doing our due diligence to make sure that, you know, the victim or the accuser or any sort of other sort of like uh, legalese language to move away from the sort of more moral, like strong moral condemnations they made back at the time uh, to make that seem as though that was the like that was the goal and that was the initial sort of uh impetus for acting on kavanaugh when it's obviously not the case but they couldn't keep it covered up forever they were going to have to address it and i'm interested to see where they go with oh that is an interesting question because it was clear that the initial attempts were to both smear uh misread and to uh like obscure the the veracity or the the kind of question of motivations all those types of things and as it's become increasingly clear that when you juxtapose something such a recent example with the ford situation and kavanaugh that people can still in their minds be able to keep both events uh, you know fresh enough so that they can compare them compare and contrast and come to the conclusion that well okay the veracity angle doesn't work so then where do you go from this and then i mean essentially and i think you kind of alluded to it with the the person the neighbor is that they're still just going to vote for Biden. no matter what blue no matter who
Oh, I, I did have a quick point I wanted to raise about like because uh, you mentioned the like the pile of oppo is one important thing to keep in mind about like opposition research and negative ads is that they don't work to generate support for your candidate. The the only thing that they work towards is right. depressing the turnout of your opponent. And the, one of the key aspects of that is, you know, uh, undermining their credibility on something that the voters care about. And so, like, that's one reason why all the negative media for Trump is so un- ineffective for the vast majority of his support and why the kind of oppo that the Republicans are sitting on for Joe Biden being racist, you know, being sexist, rapist, any of these types of things like are going to be so much more devastating. Absolutely. And even more so than that, though, like the Democratic Party doesn't need any help depressing their own voter turnout. Yeah, they did just cancel the New York primary, which is expressly like, I mean, that's just now, voter suppression. They just canceled the presidential primary, mind you, not all the primary. And, you know, they're trying to tout it as if Bernie like was completely out, even though he just suspended his campaign. But what they're really trying to do is to make sure that Cuomo's Republican people who are, you know, like the IDC and the others who are close to Republicans who are in the New York Democratic Party don't face their primary challengers with Bernie supporters voting as well. And this all comes in the backdrop of the, you know, increasing, uh, increasing sources of verification for the, you know, for the accusations against Joe Biden in terms of uh, terror, rape, sexual assault. This comes in the context of the, the increasing, you know, the increasingly mismanaged response to COVID-19 of both the president and uh, Cuomo. And, you know, it's hard not to look at, like John said, as this like a targeted way to make sure that a lot of incumbents don't have to worry about, uh, you know, a surge of Bernie voters overturning their seats. It's very just nakedly uh, that. I mean, by only canceling the presidential primary, not only does it do what you guys just articulated, but it also even more clearly and starkly presents that in Illinois and particularly in Chicago that they did the opposite in, in that they didn't they left the primary on in order to get a certain turnout. Uh, versus, and they definitely had the ability to stop that from happening, and they just did. Oh no, they threatened. They threatened yeah. the state parties and the state governor and other state people that if they didn't, they were going to lose number the num- total number of delegates at the convention. Yeah, and there's a. I know there's at least one public story of uh, Tom Perez actively discouraging uh, the states from doing anything like delaying and trying. And the the spin is is like, oh, he was just encouraging them to do some sort of mail in accommodation, not that not to. Uh, you know, discourage them from being safe. But it's like he knows as well as all the states and the, and the local parties know that actually implementing a mail-in balloting system takes time, especially in the bureaucracies that we run. And so, like, the, as a aside, the that it's not going to get put into the part four, part five, or whatever of COVID relief just further jeopardizes the election in November. But I don't want to get too far askew. But if progressives don't turn out, you know, not only in the primary, but also in the general election, that's not going to be there's going to be no no sort of like blame placed on the Democratic Party for actively trying to suppress interest in their their party. uh, Of course not. And for me, it's easy to think back to like the rallies that Sanders held at, you know, under the bridge in Queens, one of the most highly attended rallies in the country and how that was almost universally not covered by the media in favor of I forgot what the like the the story they used to obfuscate what was happening in New York City was that day but it was something incredibly asinine and banal I can't even remember but then like a week later they covered Elizabeth Warren and said that she had an enormous uh, rally in New York it was, yeah she had an enormous selfie line stretched all around the block Every, everyone loved it. it it was great a lot of new Tinder photos were taken that day uh 
No, but like I, I make the point about like the media not covering that huge rally uh, because that for me goes in the conversation with the media not properly covering Biden until now and why they started doing that because like faith in the media is pretty high amongst Democrats like Democrats have a lot of faith yes. in the media but that's not forever like that's not an infinite thing that for me is a ticking clock because like stuff like not adequately covering Sanders rallies stuff like not adequately covering uh, Joe Biden's allegations is only going to make it easier for selfishly either for people like us on the left to target those disaffected liberals who aren't you know in it like who are not like you know invested monetarily in the success of the party they're just there because they believe their party is like trying their best to like enact the kind of progressive legislation that they care about regarding women's rights racism etc and being woken up to that by being exposed like, by the discrepancy between what they're seeing in the media well, that's the thing is that no matter what happens after 2020, Joe Biden is going to wake them up to that regardless, which will segue us nicely into Larry Summers and uh, the the Bloomberg uh, app working on Biden. But if he loses, the messaging out of media is going to be to blame Bernie Sanders. Guaranteed Bernie's going to do like 47 events for Joe Biden. Uh, they were somewhat successful in blaming Bernie Sanders for Hillary's loss only because of Russiagate. They don't really have that again. And so I'm, I'm curious. I think they're going to probably use COVID. Um, I think they're going to use, you know, the left sitting home and the Bernie people not really caring. But I don't think they're going to be as effective as at blaming everybody else other than the candidate this time because Joe is clearly going to have cognitive issues going forward and he raped someone. So if he loses, there's that. But then if he wins, he's going to govern with really shitty policies. And they've already made overtures about, especially with, uh, you know, Larry Summers, overtures towards cutting Social Security. So the very first time that the, the Biden campaign or the Biden administration starts doing that, that cognitive distance is going to be very, that very much front and center. That, that distance between what um, the media is telling them about Biden and what Biden is actually doing is going to create those pathways and those inroads that you're talking about. So I think that what's happening now is there are certain people who are realizing, hey, we can't, like you said, we can't play this game forever. We can't play this long con forever. We have to do something now. Well, yeah, I think I think individuals and institutions are having crises of legitimacy all around the media political landscape, right? You know, and everyone's sort of engaging with that differently, right? You know, you can you can only scream that Trump is normalizing X or Trump is attacking the media for so long before you start have to look inwardly and wonder why people are tuning out to get involved with you know their, their local flat Earth group. It's, it's interesting, like the the dynamic you mentioned, just because like when Trump said the the stupid things with bleach and disinfectant and stuff, then there was a finally you know like his team were trying to get him to stop doing these press briefings, and the media was like, oh, you know, he's going to stop doing these press briefings. But then you could see almost see the panic in their face about like, well, what are we right. going to talk about for all that time that we, he's been you know that he's been drawing in all these ratings because we're dependent on either you know showing him live, which we shouldn't have been doing. All, like at this point for a long time now but like or talking about the dumb shit he just said Absolutely. or is going Absolutely. to say like that's that's most of the time what, right. what they're talking and the thing about. I find amazing is that they're never really talking about the policies that he's doing it's just it's all about who he is and what he represents it's fucking crazy are they still daily press briefings yeah he stopped them oh he's, he finally stopped yeah. them 
He stopped the daily COVID brief briefings, but then, like, for, like, one day on Saturday, I believe, he didn't do one. And then Sunday, he was doing a different briefing that was sort but of COVID-related, COVID. but not, and then turned into the same random rambling well, and all that I shit. I was reading, the New York Times had an article on I was reading as someone saying, like, he doesn't, he doesn't attend any pre-briefings. He just goes through the sheet that they give him, makes notes with a mark, uh, Sharpie, and then, like, kind of just reads it off monotone doesn't really care and then gets to the press question and answer where he just that's the part where he comes alive and likes it i haven't watched any of these so i don't know if that's true or not but that sounds exactly like him he doesn't give a fuck about anything except watching fox news well, i mean absolutely it's still political malfeasance that he was able to do those for so long and biden in my opinion is still fucking mia i know i know i know that we you know technically know that he is alive now and not to be like tongue-in-cheek <laughs> kim jong-un is more alive than joe biden and i i'll put money on that um <laughs> But no, and the fact that like they were allowed to get away with the Republican Party was allowed to get away with doing those daily briefings so long with their Democratic Party uh, just kind of like releasing pre-recorded, pre-taped uh, videos of Dr. Jill Stein talking while Joe Biden nods next to right. her uh, for, for a week and a half. It's like his permanent frown that just like makes it look even more depressing going. It really is like they're trying to run out the clock, hoping that Donald Trump kills enough people that they just win by default. Yeah. And like that to me speaks to a party that lacks leadership. I mean, we can forget about, I mean, there were this talk in the beginning. I don't know why people even bothered talking about it in the beginning of like the Democrats using the COVID-19 and this economic crisis as a pathway to like gain a lot, earn a lot of political capital and like earn a lot of points over Republicans and push through like pro progressive ish legislation. And now we'll be lucky if like, <laughs> if um, Mitch McConnell doesn't make like everyone forced to work a shift at the oil fields for free. Right. Well, and it goes back. It was, it's a pattern of behavior, too. Is remember back in uh, 2017, I think it was uh, Democrats. They did the like they were singing when Republicans passed repealing health or Obamacare. It's like they really are banking on Republicans being so awful that they win. And there was also that campaign slogan. Hey, have you seen the other guys or whatever that they tried that they floated out there? It's, it's a deliberate effort of just uh, essentially banking on Republicans being so dangerous and so threatening that they can win by default. Yeah, but I mean, they've backed themselves into that corner, right? I mean, they can't actually legislate because they then lose donors and they can't do nothing or pretend to do absolutely nothing because then they lose voters. You're right, because they've created a party with a tent so big that any action offends half the tent like they like they've spread themselves so thin by like you know cobbling together this loose coalition of landlords and tenants who both sort of don't like racism and or like or you know basically the whoever isn't you know race enough for the republican party and now like they can't really offer anything but they're not really interested in offering right. I, from it's my perspective you know we've entered the democratic party's you know end game in terms of what they want their political viability to be right they like they yeah they no longer have to promise you anything in the democratic party it's like they've conditioned their democratic their own base of voters to be so deeply afraid of the idea of trump winning that they have abandoned all like morality and yes. the past four years of russiagate like coverage has liquefied their brains it's replaced all like critical thinking skills which is like pure conspiratorial thinking all in service of like protecting class power and it, it 
Yeah, and or I was just going to say quickly is like with the attacking Bernie Sanders with her unicorns and rainbows and all that stuff, what they've done is they've eliminated, you know, progressive social change as being, you know, fancy or fantasy and in the hopes that, you know, they're going to find reasonable Republicans. But what they're going to find is that Republicans are just going to call things like Social Security continuing to exist. Uh, you know, uh, one of those fantasy promises that Democrats keep feeding to their to their voters. You know, it's like they're still going to paint whatever Democrats do manage to offer and like in policy as being fantasy and, and so like they're not gonna it's not gonna get any more the policy just continues to move or right more, or more dangerously they're going to say that you know they're the ones protecting social security they're the ones who are doing you know the stuff for the people while they build on an ethno-nationalist state which is exactly what tucker carlson and others are trying to do because that's how you get fascism and that's you know, it's a pretty strong blueprint for getting power that we have for what in so many different countries that have been facing the same economic climate that we're facing right now. It works. They know it works and they're going to do it. And they know that they can appeal to liberals if they make it seem meritocratic and technocratic. If they make it seem like there's a and with a lot of bureaucracy, if they do those three things, even if it's all for show, they can lure in a lot of liberal thinkers who just tend to gravitate towards order over justice. If you know that you can do three things, you can rile up your base to the point where they are terrified of brown people and they're going to come out and vote. You disenfranchise those same people and you have the the white people that you're terrifying vote in line with that. Then you get a, a working class coalition that says, well, the Democrats are really only interested in Wall Street and Silicon Valley insurance and pharma. They don't really care about us. And you appeal to them on the grounds of, hey, you know what, we're going to protect your Social Security, even as what they're doing is lowering it every year. The same thing the Democrats have been trying to do for 30 years. You you have a winning coalition that you can create that is not a majority, but a winning coalition. And that's exactly what they're doing. It's the Democrats just don't care about it because it's they would rather go down on the ship and still have the power than actually within their own institution than do anything about the rise of fascism because let's face it liberalism does that each and every fucking time oh no i i haven't you heard liberals liberals are the only one who can save us from fascists like i, I remember last time i would I, last last time i had a liberal explain the world to me they they told me that i was just being subject to disinformation by russians and that i need to get all my uh news from the new york times and msnbc those bastions of like non-state propaganda you know you really you, right the free the free <laughs> thinkers at the new york times and msnbc well, and we frequently make the point about how in a vacuum that that right wing kind of a nationalist uh, perspective and framework can appeal to people that wouldn't it, it wouldn't traditionally appeal to. And in to that point, I, and to that point, I was just going to say that the statistic or there was a poll out recently that showed that of people like people who they're trusting on covid uh, and the response and like information where they're getting their information is Joe Biden was basically on the bottom of the list uh, with not the worst neg- net because that was obviously Trump, but he had less people that trusted him than Pence or uh, it, anybody else on the list. Right. And that, that's the danger of the, the Pence movement is that, you know, you're going to have a whole administration of people whose names are going to be tied to Trump who are going to come out and they're going to be trying to run the Steve Bannon playbook, but without Trump's liabilities like Pence's positives for that movement are so strong that you're going to get, like we talk about, you know, like President Tom Cotton is going to be a nightmare for an ethno-nationalist state creation. But 
you know, everyone's going to be the Democrats are going to go back to sleep because he's not talking in the same way that Trump does. So they're going to sleepwalk in. I mean, that was actually the point I was trying to make earlier is that I think we're going to see in the world is like, you know, more far right figures like abandoning like the stupid they took the Native American lady off Land Lakes butter, like culture war bullshit and, and hammer home more like the ethno-nationalist working class state shit. Tucker Carlson does this because he fancies himself a smart conservative. And so like this is kind of where you've already seen him and you see that it gets him traction and people like it grows as a appeal and the attention he gets from people who would not normally pay any attention to what Tucker Carlson says. Correct. And on top of that, like the, the problem becomes is that you have Tucker Carlson who's doing this knowingly and pushing this out there. And then you have people like on the on the left, let's say left of the Democrats who say, you know, Tucker's making some good points. And why is it that we have no one else in our mainstream who's making those points? And, you know, they're, they're not wrong about that. Tucker is making good points. But then when you start examining what his solutions are for all these critiques that he's making of the government, they're way off fucking base. I, I, it's just the updated version of the Republicans pointing out things that are true, but right. they're not better about. Correct. And and the thing is, is that it's it's such a strong it's just not a hard sell because the Democrats are so fucking bad at even addressing it because they pretend like it doesn't exist or they do the we believe science, but we're not going to do anything about global climate. So, you know, but we believe you. Carlson does what a lot of far right people who are successful at gaining popularity and being fancy to populists do is that they can, you know, they confuse correlation with causation. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that. Oh, no, he no, makes I, I, know, I know. I know. I know what you're saying. But I mean, but that's like it's a class thing. It's like, you know, that's what makes the far right more dangerous than the Democratic Party gives them credit for. Or rather, that's what makes the far right something the Democratic Party and liberalism can contend with is because like they're like they don't have a analysis of society that positions thing, anything as really wrong, per se just like a bunch of anomalous things like i, I it sounds right bad. get the right managers in charge of the machine the machine's fine absolutely you know like it, it sounds bad but the, the far right people on the far right maybe not the ones who are actively trying to sow fascism but those like some of those who are attracted to it probably have a better understanding just by nature of like some aspect of what i'm praying a broad brush here i feel like they probably have some aspect of, of like of how power and influence works in society better than liberals do like yes. you know it's like it not no i don't think their impulses are better than liberal i think you know broadly speaking a lot of people have good and bad impulses but like when it comes to like the understanding how power and influence works in society the far right has a much better understanding than like liberals do like at least amongst the mid-tier level like and you can make the argument that they do so because for the past 30 years, they've been getting the shit kicked out of them when it comes to the culture wars. I mean, like, so what well, I mean, or, so, uh, I was just going to say one simple way of illustrating this is like Jeff Bezos is like Republicans can call Jeff Bezos an asshole and they can be right about Jeff Bezos being an asshole. But Democrats, their worldview and their their the framework doesn't allow them the space to recognize Jeff Bezos as right. an asshole. And, and what I was saying is like, you know, they they for 30 years, we've heard nothing but like on television, even. Even going on things like The Simpsons, the redneck characters are the worst. And they can make those appeals knowing like, hey, these are things that I hold dear. These are things that I believe in wholeheartedly. And, you know, some of that stuff, I, I disagree with all of it. And but only some of that stuff is truly 100 percent evil. Like.
like, and I would, well, let's say the majority of it, but they've gotten their asses kicked in every cultural medium that we have. So they understand how power actually works because while they've been getting their asses kicked on that front, what they've been doing is they've been winning quietly behind the scenes, moving the country more and more rightward where they want to be. Well, because the far right tends to understand hegemony, if not yes. by name, by effect. It's like, I think it's liberals who think that everything is being negotiated in good faith and that, you know, it, it's it, where you, you have a hard time talking to them about like something like, okay, well, don't you think it's weird that they canceled the New York primary around the same time that like literal corroborating evidence came out that proves that Joe Biden is a rapist? And like, like why would they do that? Like, why would they bury us for five weeks? It's like, it's, you know, like it's, I don't know how conspiracies abound right that was kind, yeah. of, kind of like that's kind of like the topic of the show and it was topic of a lot of episodes that we do but like you know <laughs> it's it's watching like liberals especially like democratic aligned media operatives who spent the last i would say four or so years you know since trump got elected like mainstreaming the word gaslighting to describe everything from like trump being mean to them online to someone calling them an asshole taking away press credentials for acosta just lying just easily disproven lies and then like to from this in the last few weeks like literally trying to make people first doubt the reality of someone's sexual assault allegations and then today reinventing what happened over the past three weeks to make it seem as though like they were reasonable ones for doubting everything and it wasn't a politically aligned thing it was it was all about like actually how they the source and like it just this complete absolute bullshit it, it's 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 wild it's, it's, it's a very yeah like Marcotte who comes out and says well i was just waiting for more people to run down information on it even before the corroborating evidence even before i would argue the first allegation biden's inner circle was fucking full of predators you know like he's being advised by the pr the same people who advised weinstein during his rape allegations you know and now that larry summers epstein guy another member of the lolita the lolita fan club is also becoming his economic advisor, along with, of course, people like Jamie Dimon. Like, I mean, the party is like the party. Joe Biden is a step backwards. He's all the failure of the Democratic Party of the past 40 years, like in one candidate. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I, the thing that is bug, like it's been bothering me for a long time. But like, you know, we we have no accountability. We have no justice. And Biden's track backwards is just rehashing all of the same people who really should in my opinion, probably facing some sort of justice, whether it's spending time in jail or guillotines. But like, you know, we're seeing a, a refurbishment or a rehabilitation of, you know, Bush era people as well as the criminals from Clinton. I mean, Larry Summers literally oversaw the drop in life expectancy of a decade for most Russians and the looting of that state. Like that used to be the third largest economy in the world. And now it's not even ranked. I think at the time after Larry was done with it, it was ranked smaller than Peru. He turned around and what he did with assets and what they, the Harvard boys did to Russia was just fucking astounding. And, you know, it's all these people that put Yeltsin in charge and then ran their economy into the ground on purpose. And it, to think that these are the same people that we're going to be putting in charge of the American economy in a time of crisis when the first thing that they're going to do is privatize everything. Like Mitch McConnell is is pushing that states go bankrupt right now to sell off assets at rock bottom prices to private enterprises and then to renege on pensions. You know, it's it's a it's the same thing they're doing at the post office. And rather than taking any type of move toward economic left, which is popular with the, um, the vast population of the country, they're going to put in the same type of ghouls who believe in the exact same thing and just pretend like they're not. 
not even popular, but I would argue at this point we're in the middle of a pandemic necessary, right? You know, we're not talking about like it's, it's always uh, been necessary. This, I mean, ever, we've seen a massive decline in American civilization in my lifetime, and it's been necessary. But these are the same fucking people that have been responsible for that. You know, as we've been talking about, we've talked about uh, deaths of despair and drug use and and all of the economic impacts that we've seen in this country, uh, especially generational divide and wealth. For like since we started this show, and these are the people who oversaw it for the Democrats, and we're putting them back in power. Absolutely, I mean, I agree. Western society in America, specifically, is declining. I saw Cats in theaters. I paid to see that movie, uh, so I know you know it, it's hard to deny that that's a fact. But we're now we're going, we're going backwards, and it, the part that I mentioned earlier about like me feeling some sort of way, you know, with the quote, uh, famed intellectual Rich Homie Kwan about the, uh, you know, about the democratic response. It's like, yeah, I mean, from like a purely self-serving sense, I feel like this particular aspect, you know, again, divorced from how I feel about Democratic Party and Joe Biden's history of institutional violence and why that makes me not want to vote for him and not view him as acceptable. Like, you know, from a completely self-serving way, like the rape allegations against Joe Biden for me are like, this is going to be a wake-up call for a lot of just rank-and-file libs who otherwise have, again, good political impulses, but the Democratic Party has made them so afraid of anything that might lead to another Trump victory, so afraid of anything that might make them seem stupid or conspiratorial or, you know, by definition of like straying from the status quo narrative is are going to wake up and become more open to like, again, like divergent narratives, even maybe divergent parties in the future. It's a generational project. We don't have generations. Right. But that's, you know, but that like, but essentially like that's what you have to do when you're talking about an entrenched media class. You just have to, uh, to you know, wait for them to alienate enough people and be and be and provide alternatives from the engage with in order to move from them from yeah, that. But see, At I, the same I don't have hope for that. I have no hope for that. In fact, I think that what we're going to see is those same people with good good intentions or, or good instincts are going to abandon those instincts and double down on the narrative that the Democrats and media are going to push. And the reason why I say that's going to happen is because like nobody talked about Hillary Clinton's enabling of the Bill Clinton, um, the smears of the rape uh, allegations against Bill Clinton's victims. You know, nobody talked about that, any of that during 2016. And it was readily apparent. I mean, you know, you had James Carville still going on television and, and he's one of the people that said you drag a hundred dollar bill through a trailer park and this is what you get. And there's been no reckoning with that. There is no accountability anymore because, you know, we move especially when you're talking about the news cycle, because we move from one crisis moment to the next and we never talk about how any of that is in context or historical context. So nobody cares. And it's all just whatever they can craft the narrative to for the goldfish minds of the American populace. And I don't think that anybody else other than the American populace functions of this. So yeah, you say it's a generational project, but I think at this point it's literally just waiting for people who are accustomed and who believe in television to die. And that's it. And we don't have time for that. Don't get me wrong. I think the number of people who are going to wake up from this or any event is going to be always going to be small. But I mean, all you can do is have that, you know, small amount. Unfortunately, if it were any other candidate, any other party, arguably in the world, but the Democratic Party and, you know, Trump was looking at what, 20 percent unemployment and a pandemic that might kill a hundred thousand people uh, and like in a bungled response. There's any litany of things. Right. Like this would be an easy layup. Right. 2016 would have been an easy layup. But like if anyone were going to fucking lose, it'd be them. 
Like, I, I don't think. I think the reason being is because winning isn't a life or death situation for the Democratic Party and the Democratic leadership. They make just as much money losing as they do winning. The only winning life or death moment that they have is for Nancy Pelosi to beat Shahid. Uh, Shahid. That's it. Back to my point, though, I think that, you know, more people, unfortunately, again, the more people who they, you know, the longer this goes on, like, and by this, I mean, like, this two-party sort of, like, nonsense, uh, along with an aligned media apparatus who continues to, like, prop up conspiratorial thinking in smug conformity as the same thing as, like, critical thinking skills, you know, like, we're going to have people who are incapable of breaking out of, like, you know, out of that matrix, incapable of breaking out of the matrix, essentially, right? But, you know, a small number of people, by nature of, like, just how deep deeply ingrained the Democratic Party. I think they shot themselves in the foot with this one. Like believing women, I think was a very big thing. The mar- the the women's march, the you know, Me Too, Time's Up, that was a big thing for a lot of liberals. And I think again, you know, we know that they are self-serving. We know that they're cynical. We know that they have crafted a relationship with the Republican Party that suits them by comparison and they have no real interest in changing it despite the fact that it is to the detriment of the entire world to keep enabling them. And just to put a quick note on that is like the the Believe Women push that was coming out of the Democratic Party was from kind of the newer generation of Democrats rather than the old guard that's more of the Biden supporters. And so those that group of people was not expecting to ending up having to support Biden like they had planned on ideally supporting a a woman candidate, uh, if not like not Biden of all people. So they didn't think that they were going to be confronted with something like this. But continue. Biden might still make Elizabeth Warren his VP and then she can advocate for Larry Summers policies. Oh, I will laugh my fucking ass off at anybody who uh, helped Elizabeth Warren to when she starts doing that. Well, you know what? Quickly, I wanted to make a point also kind of that tied into Warren a bit is that like in the large tent and the kind of lack of having a a quality left critique out of Democrats results in Bloomberg and the success that he saw where in California, he almost got more votes than Elizabeth Warren did in California like in the Democratic primary. So it just kind of demonstrates to you, like we were talking earlier about like, uh, you know, that the Democrats have realized they don't have to offer anything to the left. And that's essentially it is uh, you mentioned also that they can't do anything without pissing off the other half of the party. And basically that support from Bloomberg and the Biden nomination is just cementing the idea idea that they can just blow off the left side of that part that that party for the and when they lose they have their media set already to tell everybody that it's the left's fault exactly they don't even need to anymore at this point like honestly you know people asked about like how conspiracies spread and do i think that everyone is working like a hive mind and like oh the whole like do you think that jeff bezos calls every reporter at the washington post and tells them what to write and it's just like no i would argue it functions something like what happened when people like when tara reed came out with her allegations and suddenly there were a bunch of Russia fucking conspiracy theories about how she was actually a Putin agent. It's like you just have to like spend enough time like indoctrinating a bunch of fucking like incredibly susceptible people. I would I would argue like your everyday average fucking like MSNBC liberal like it's NPR, uh, Washington Post like New York Times reading liberal is incredibly susceptible to propaganda. And I don't again like it's not as though America is the only country with propaganda or America is the like, propaganda is like the worst. Although I it might be. I Honestly, but I I do think that Americans are unique in their belief that like they are not being subject to yeah. propaganda and they are uniquely resistant to it. Like that our media is very free. Why I think liberals are incredibly 
prone to conspiratorial thinking is that the key to any good conspiracy same with reactionary things generally is that like you know you flatter the ego of the of the listener you know like you tell them that like they have everything they need to discern the true nature of the world in their head and all of their preconceived notions and aren't they so smart and wonderful for being able to find out the true nature of the world while everyone else is like you know navigating in darkness right and like that's also just a new york times op-ed section anyway yeah it's like like that like, that, like that's like that's the central you know, sell of the New York Times op-ed section of any really of op-ed right, section. Right, because it's not like, competency. I mean, I've read writing by all three of us, and we're much better writers than anyone on the New York Times op-ed page right now. It's also not fact being factually accurate. Right. It's about flattering the ego. And I mean, that's where, that's where the op-ed section becomes no different than a conspiracy, becomes no different than, uh, you know, the false narratives, generally speaking, where, you know, conspiracy becomes kind of like a very loose, unuseful term, because, like, it's really about, like, what preserves class power and what doesn't preserve class power. You know, like, there are there are conspiracy theories that preserve class power, like Tara Reid is a Russian agent, Russiagate is the only reason Hillary Clinton lost, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then there are conspiracy theories that disprove the class power, or rather challenge class power, like uh, Bush did 9-11, and Epstein was murdered, and the earth is flat. The holy trinity of conspiracy theories. And so, like, liberals have been spouting conspiracy theories at me all week. Republicans aren't grappling with, like, the boundaries of satire as they start drinking bleach to please uh, Donald Trump. So, I mean, I only made the point that, like, I think that this had the potential to, to wake up a lot more liberals than, let's say, something like like, well, Obama put those kids in cages, right. or well, I hate to say like they're simple people, but this is much more within like their scope of understanding. Yes. Like this is well, much more like within the, their... the. I think that there's a danger though in that like uh, this is slightly weird, but I've been watching Seven Seeds anime on Netflix. You really um, huh? <laughs> anime. Uh, a moment uh, two characters, Arashi and Ango, but basically it's a similar situation where uh, if I were to apply it to politics, it basically confronts. A, a liberal with like well you didn't actually have to be a liberal you chose that and like so the the consequences of being a liberal that 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 matters and it's like what tend what happened was is, you know the character just starts to break down and like and emotionally and uh you know or just emotionally just break down uh dealing with like trying to grapple with how to reconcile that they didn't have to be but that they were manipulated by uh you know people that were basically guiding them for their own personal interests and didn't have any regard for what that would do to them like practically or uh, psychologically in the future if they ever did grapple with it and so like i think that's what you end up having a situation with is where liberals run into this joe biden situation and rather than like have a kind of uh, awakening moment it's more of a like a shutting down because of like the emotional and the psychological and all those types of things like all that conflict it's easier to just put it out of your mind and like focus on something else than it is to reconstruct your entire worldview so that you can somehow go on existing uh, with this new yeah, information I mean, that's, uh, the point i've been making i've said a lot of times like you know there's i, I I've dealt with a lot of people who are in the generations like generations above me and when confronted with it like they just don't know what to do when confronted with the inconsistencies of their logic with the inconsistencies of the morality with the inconsistencies of all of the things that the democratic party does and says you know it's they've incorporated so much of that into their identity like we've talked about here about i'm a good person because i'm a democrat that 
you know, Obama put, built those cages and put kids in cages doesn't register with them. They just say, well, but Trump's putting more in. It's like, oh, okay, but you have to grapple with the fact that it was your ideology that allowed this to be done without you even knowing about it. Not it's less less kids in cages is better. So I'm right. a good person, not I'm a bad person because I supported right. putting kids in cages because it was politically right. expedient. And, at and the that's time. the problem is that you know when when Brandon's talking about waking people up, I think we're going to see far more of that, and you're going to see you know far more of the lint roller mind of the American poli- uh, people where they're just going to pick and choose what goes into what they believe rather than having anything. And that's because America is probably the most thoroughly propagandized people. I was listening to a dollop about the textbook wars in West Virginia, and I just, I'm watching, they're they're arguing about people trying to censor textbooks in schools, in public schools. And the, the story was great. And it just reminded me like, you know, this is a project that goes so much further back than this moment, you know, like the propaganda only really works because we don't actually teach an accurate history of America. We don't actually teach an accurate economics of America. We don't actually teach anything at a, a general level for everybody, when, meaning public schools, that is true or accurate except for math. And, you know, so now we first have, all, we have, all, and people, don't start talking about flat earth right now. Um, no, I was going to say people get all their history from like 12, uh, 1200 tweets, uh, threads by right. people who minored in the topic. Yeah, exactly. But like that's, but even <laughs> so that's still better. That still it's better than what most kids get in textbooks. And so what you've had is you've had a, a history that's been so thoroughly whitewashed on purpose so that nobody is offended, that now no one is operating from a, a context, a, a true contextual framework. So nobody you, you have everybody willing, able to pick and choose what they want to believe now with no basis for any like coherent facts. And I hate to say that, you know, that's like the the liberal mindset is like, okay, we're going to agree to some sort of factual framework that we can all work from. But there is something to be said by that. And the liberals can't even adhere to that themselves. So it's we're we're unique in that aspect, I think, as Americans because of that. And so I think that because of that, we're never going to see any progress because in order to combat that, you now have to change the entire political body. So you can't change any of that because the entire political body has to change before any of that changes and that's never going to change. So therefore, we can't get to the fundamental things. And it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I feel obligated to mention that also, like progressivism is on like a scale yes, of 100%. liberal thought. It's it's not in the socialist camp. So like, I know a lot of people are taking this moment to like trying to recalibrate their political compass and their spectrum and understand where they feel they fit. It, I just think it's an important thing to note note that like progressive is part of liberal ideology. It is as least in in the United States especially, but like it's not part of the socialist spectrum as I view as, it. As anyone and so, views like, it really, particularly. Because- yeah, yeah, and it's like one of the defining factors being being anti-capitalist, not you know capitalist your bones and with the rules kind of thing. So like, the, and it's important I think for people to understand is like those are two. That's a it's a root issue for which the positions are not they can't be combined. Right. You, There's like, no compromise. It, it's something from which, yeah, from which you have to build out the rest of a worldview from this kind of perspective of either being capitalist or anti-capitalist. And is like, it, and so if you're on the capitalist side, then you're 
power your framework is within those liberals and so like really voting for De Biden and Democrats is really the, the route for that perspective uh, that political perspective and if, if you find yourself identifying more with socialist thought then that's you, that's the aim that you're going towards is, is away from that kind of perspective but I just want to make that point just to jump topics really quickly, and that speaks to what uh, John was saying before, when we mentioned, uh, when we talked about like the lack of imagination amongst liberals in terms of like things being better. People are still floating the idea that, like, well, they're going to try to like supplant or remove Joe Biden for an Andrew Cuomo. Uh, and I think like it, the possibility exists out there. It, it's a possible that they might try to replace Joe Biden with somebody. But even if that... Uh, did not cause a severe crisis of legitimacy that like that would even just like just make uh, Joe Biden more of uh, the better candidates overall. If the Democratic Party really wholesale wanted just like all they wanted was like a competent technocrat, they could have just picked Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. But she fucking bombed out. And I think like I've been mentioning that this like since the beginning about Elizabeth Warren. It's like Elizabeth Warren, despite the fact that we don't really like her, and she kind of fucking flamed out and bombed out towards the end. Like at the beginning and before she had her difficulties, uh, I was saying that she was the best argument that liberalism had that it could contend with the problems of the modern world, right? Maybe not sufficiently, but that, hey, it had answers that were beyond just like social signaling. It had answers beyond like simply acknowledging a problem and then like moving on without ever solving it with the illusion that it's been solved. Um, and they wholesale rejected Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. And to me, that was a, f a very dark sign for what about their base. And that essentially, like, they, they can't even conceptualize a democratic party where like a technocracy, like just like a, a competent technocrat who like believed in like sort of in putting up some like vaguely effective institutional barriers was a, had a legitimate argument for electability. That's just not part of their lexicon anymore. It didn't even come to the Bernie bros having to like sink her campaign. Like really, it came down to the fact that Democratic Party just doesn't see that as a, as a viable thing. A few like liberals like who like Elizabeth Warren will like Andrew Cuomo. I mean, not well, a no, they won't because a lot of them, you know, again, no shade for me, liked her because she was the opportunity for the vote for a woman who did not have like the intense terrible baggage of hillary clinton um but like now like and so like they wouldn't vote for andrew cuomo and so that leaves the minority of people in the democratic party who are just who just look at any vaguely again he's not even a competent technocrat but anyone who gets on tv and plays the role of a competent technocrat as a viable leader and again the democratic party is just not interested in that it's like they won't vote for that like, it's like they want good old Joe because, I mean, some of them do because, like, he is what they've been told is the safest, absolutely the most uh, vague, thinly spread candidate possible. He, you know, he offers nothing. He promises nothing. He can't even stick to, like, the vague social. I think that's a point. somewhat charitable interpretation of, of the rejection. And I'm not sh like I, I'm thinking about your point about Cuomo and whether they would reject him or not. And I'm, I'm inclined to think that they might accept him because of his, uh, his where he stands politically as far as policy goes. And like because I, I look at the Warren situation, what I see is Warren as the presentation of Bernie's policies. But 
but capable of, of appealing to the liberal or the more centrist part of the party. And but I still see the same rejection that you point out of or categorical rejection of uh, Warren and that kind of, uh, I don't know, middle ground between Bernie and the centrist part of the party. They rejected that as well. So it wasn't just that Bernie was going to be unacceptable, but even a middle ground was going to be unacceptable. And one of the other things that came to my mind is just that like a lot of Bernie support was from the people that tried to encourage Warren to run in 2016. And so like uh, a lot of his support came from the people that believed in the kind of policies and the kind of positioning that she was putting. And so it, just to double down on the aspect that it wasn't Bernie bros that kind of undermined her candidacy and that a lot of Bernie supporters were actually Warren supporters as well and or started as Warren supporters previously. And so it was very much the centrist part of the party that rejected her. And for the moment, there was a moment in polling where they weren't rejecting her because she seemed like the most viable option that wasn't Bernie. And as soon as they thought that they could uh, find a way around that, they did. And her support basically evaporated until uh, the primary, which she just suddenly got a multi-million dollar donor to a super PAC that then quickly evaporated right after it served its purpose. I mean, Warren was the biggest loser of the entire primary, 100%. And I'm, but again, you know, I meant to rebut what you were saying, but to sort of just but go even further off, it's like, yeah, but you know, even if that were the case, even if Warren was too far left, they didn't even pick Kamala Harris, you know? Amy Klobuchar, yeah. Pete Buttigieg, the Obama but blanks, you know? Like Obama but a woman, Obama but like a black woman, Obama but. But uh, I, I think a lot of that has to do with South Carolina. Like Biden just won one. You know, no one else had been a clear winner on anything, and Biden finally did. And so that was just it. Okay, well, we got to get behind it. And I think Obama's phone calls to everybody kind of settled that. And I don't think he would have made those phone calls if it had been a close race in but South Carolina. But even that to me speaks to, uh, uh, and I agree with you, but even that to me speaks to a party, a base of, of, you know, base of voters that were just ready for that. They were just ready. They were yeah, just ready to accept whoever seemed to be thrown in front of them. And so the media's intentful pursuit of making sure that that was never never appeared to be bernie sanders seems even more deliberate if you like have a low interview you have a low opinion of the, the democratic voter democratic primary voter yeah which so i like, do so like, but i mean that's the thing that's the problem like i was saying you know you have every every time pew comes out with a new study about voting habits and media consumption what you prove out is that the people who believe in television which is now older democrats are the ones who consistently vote with how television tells you to vote and so you have an entire apparatus that's lockstep in line with the interests of the democratic and republican parties because their commercial interests are lockstep in line with those parties who's telling them who to vote for and they believe them and I, and i think that that comes back to what Richard was saying about how if they were to confront the fact if they were to honestly confront their own uh, their own culpability in the systems that we're creating right now they would shatter their entire worldview and they come to realize well wait a minute if I support this stuff even if I'm just talking about it at fucking dinner parties or telling my friends about it then I'm complicit in this bullshit you know and and so you have I have no respect for the majority of democratic voters because they don't have any respect for the act of voting in itself because they're outsourcing the entire basis for informing themselves and their own morality to other people who are not trustworthy because their own interests are completely antithetical oh, the, to the voters. The one uh, so addendum I would add to that, that is that capitalism in, insists that it occupies your times in such ways that uh, expending time on that isn't at least immediately uh, beneficial in the economic sense as well. So like it, it 
taking time to from literally just not going to work so you can vote to like spending time doing research on political information instead of you know prepare getting rest for the next day of work or you know going to your kids recital or whatever it's just not something that a lot of people find the time for or have the time for so it's not it's like it, it is not we, oh, like i just mean yeah, to say but, that like we yeah go ahead i disagree richard now i mean the reason i disagree at this point is because we've seen entire generations bernie won under 55 percent bernie's policies are popular with the majority of the country and like i said from my experience of knocking doors in new hampshire the majority of people that were not bernie supporters believe that every of the one of the candidates except for amy klobuchar supported all the things that were on bernie's platform so at this point like i like you're retired right you have all the fucking time in the world those are the people that are voting for joe biden those are the people that are doing this stuff it's retired white older people you know and, and so i i give some I give a little bit to some yeah. people, Richard, like some people who maybe are working into their retirement, who um, maybe didn't have the internet or didn't have any of these things. I mean, if you're talking about somebody that's now, 65, 70 but, plus years know, old, is like they might have not finished high school, might be semi-literate, might be a variety of things. There might right. be a variety of compound factors. Some of that, that. Go ahead. Right. Right. And, and, but that's not that's not who we saw come out in most of the Super Tuesday states. What we saw was we saw the, the same supporters that, you know, uh, that Schumer was saying, we lose one middle, we lose one inner city person in uh, Philadelphia. We're going to pick up two white suburban voters like that's who we saw come out. And those people I have no fucking sympathy for. You should be informed. You should not be outsourcing any of this to the same people who have been lying us in the Iraq war, and you should fucking know better by now. But when they're confronted with any of that, like you said, they shut down. So I don't, I don't really have a lot of fucking sympathy for the American voter. And I don't think, you know, my life is considerably more complicated and worse because of the things that I know and the time that I've taken to know these things. And, you know, I'm not trying to like put myself up on a cross because you guys do it too. We all do it and we've suffered because of it. So, you know what? Fuck you. Get informed. I'll be honest with you, John. There is no room left on any cross for you with all the liberals who have been nailing themselves <laughs> to any fucking two pieces of wood they can find. <laughs> over like over like how they've been so wrongfully portrayed as fucking lacking any kind of integrity by the left. Have you seen uh, the emojis for, uh, in uh, their uh, Twitter feed? I mean. <laughs> You have you have, yeah. you, have mother, you have fucking op-ed writers at the Daily Beast or wherever fucking people read, just like nailed up to balls of wood in the vague <laughs> shape of like a fucking X, just because like they don't have like they just fucking were hurrying to get themselves up on that cross. And it was all their housekeeper not, could find at the time. Continue. Who they are giving hazard pay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that O'Brien's gone. <laughs> oh, did you see that? Speaking of hazard pay, did you see the the people who are supporting the get opening the economy back up? Are they getting COVID-19? No, it's 69% people, uh, white people who have not lost their jobs throughout this entire process. Those less than 5% people of color who have lost their jobs during this crisis want to open the economy back up. Well, my, my collectivist thinking leads me to want to sacrifice my life so Karen can get her hair dyed. But go on. 
but that's it. It's like, you know, people, it's like people who own fucking five franchises of like Arby's in like across like a tri-county area in Ohio, like demanding that people open back up. And people have made the point too, that like, it's also a ploy by governors and other places to avoid the get people off the state's unemployment rolls, make it so that people are getting fired instead of like unemployed, uh, you know, assuming unemployment because of like, right. a shutdown, like, you know, and, and, get, and then now uh, McConnell's trying to put into the newest stimulus package, a uh, waiver of liability for any company that has uh, that opens up as a direct result. So like he wants to make it so that corporations can't be sued if their patrons or their workers get COVID. Well, and, and the states need revenue as well, because without the business, the, there's no tax revenue coming in. So educational programs, right. so on and so forth, aren't going to have funding next year. And Cuomo just cut, what, $50 billion, Brandon? What was it? I think the budget said almost something like $50 billion. Like, it was a ridiculous number. First of all, uh, I'm, I'm tired of your Cuomo-phobia. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, 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 Fredo, Fredo has no respect for me. No, that's a, that's Italiophobia. You see, you're, you're, you're forgetting that Cuomo is intersectional. <laughs> uh, he's, oh. both a, he's both Italian and, well, I mean, I don't know, he's not a Cuomosexual. Can you be a, can you be a Cuomosexual, you know? I, I think I, everyone at MSNBC is a Cuomosexual. I don't know if you've seen him and his brother talk, but it's possible, I think. Go ahead. It's actually, it's actually Cuomo Mizia, uh, <laughs> if, if we're going to be unproblematic <laughs> on this show. But no, what was I going to say? Yeah, I think what people are learning in quarantine, just to go back to Richard's uh, time thing, I think what people are learning in quarantine, and it's a valuable lesson, is that like so much of your life is not only like going to work, I mean, like being at work, but so much of your life, so much of your, like, your time, your quote unquote free time, that's not like literally the 40 hours you spend at work, is organized around either getting to and from work if you live in any place where you have to commute you know work from home etc or like doing the daily tasks that you need to live like such as like laundry cleaning groceries cooking uh you know ex- not even like and we'll throw an exercise not the amount that i do but like a drill amount of exercise you know, going outside like getting fresh air etc uh, like is like that's like everyone's life. You don't, you don't even have time for, for people for extracurricular activities. It's like I think, and so I think that I think there is partially to that that Richard is correct. Where like people who are not retired, because I mean it is predominantly older voters voting Biden in, but there are people younger voters who are like falling under, if not for Biden specifically under the same sort of like thought processes and patterns of thought that, you know, they're, they're more begrudgingly supporting him. Continue. Yeah. yeah. They're begrudging him, supporting him or begrudgingly supporting the party that made them have to support them. Mm-hmm. The Democratic party trusts me to choose whether or not I buy food or fucking medicine, but they don't trust me to vote not to with the choice of voting for a rapist or not voting for a rapist. That's not like, like that. That's too difficult choice for the average democratic voter. So they, they stripped it away from them, but you but feel free to, to opera, try to get insulin for your fucking, an uninsured baby on the the exchanges right you know like that's like that's that's a much that's a much uh more navigable option but like so yeah like i mean there is the time aspect people are learning under quarantine that a lot of their time is spent like doing shit that like they just have to do live or work and if they do th- do do things recreationally they have that weird like middle manager neurotic tendency to try to ex- like, it's the same like they they personalize the neoliberalism that is indicative of like the post office like how much profit do they make into their personal life and be like okay well i've this activity that i enjoy how is it actually 
an, me being productive? Like, did I learn anything? Did I like? Did, did it fit within my leftist paradigm? Like, shit yeah, like that. the the, pro, uh, the productivity discourse is something I had no idea. I wasn't even paying attention to. Is that's not something like? I mean, I kind of think about that myself, but from a very different perspective. And just seeing how people were dealing with is like, what are you even? What are you people even talking about? <laughs> like, well, well, I mean, to me, that like you know, with my neuroatypical uh, brain like the the productivity thing was a trap that i fell into a long time ago because you know i i i have i almost like fetishize uh efficiency and so i i had to push myself to get out of the personal efficiency because efficiency when you're talking about it you know on your own personal level just is becomes meaningless and becomes a trap like you're talking about but i can i can sympathize with that but i will say the other thing about richard's point too though is that like you know, it's not even so much that people are lacking time. So what John was saying, that people are lacking time when it comes to informing themselves. It's a Democratic Party, like I said. I think that they have beaten into the heads of their most media-entranced, you know, followers a very particular fear of deviating from the status quo and therefore coming across as stupid or uninformed. And so, like, they subject themselves to as much propaganda as possible, <laughs> like, and, or if they, you know, in order to, like, quote-unquote, inform themselves, and it gives them this incredibly irrational fear of, like, coming across, of deviating from it. It's like, you know, them after, you know, you watch, like, two hours of MSNBC, I mean, well, it does, literally, but, like, theoretically, the matter you watch two hours of MSNBC or 20 hours of NBC, if you have the same like underlying, if they've convinced you that like towing the line is not only the only way to sound smart or practical, but in the case of Trump, you know, they've, they've expanded that. Like, it's the only way to like stop Trump and or fascism. It's like they've made it, they've made like conforming the only solution to like conforming to liberalism, the only solution to like fascism, right. which obviously we know is not the case. Yeah, and in fact, it's a wholly insufficient. And, you know, every time in history that that's happened, fascism has won out. And made a moral argument out of uh, removing Trump, and so by putting in Biden, uh, it it undermines that entire kind of framework. You know, it's like you could have picked a better moral champion if that was going to be your angle than Biden. Well, I mean, honestly, people say I think that like, oh, you know, the Democratic Party looked at Trump and decided that like, they had to get more racist to win. I mean, that's like that's like the practically what happened. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like more. I feel like more so than that. It was mostly just like they looked at Trump. They looked at 2016. You know, and they said that like the people just aren't afraid enough. It's like the people still have just enough hope. <laughs> they have like just <laughs> enough hope to expect like something from us and let's see how they are in four years and i think that's like the kind that's the kind of energy i'm getting from the democratic party they're like your ex who emails you every year to see how depressed you are they're like they're willing to play the long game because they have nothing else to do their job is to get biden ready to do what to, to put up a decent enough front for democratic party uh to pretend right, like they to tried. maintain credibility I mean, honestly, I think that Biden might still win. Like I said, like it, it shouldn't even be close considering like the, the phenomenon we're dealing with right now under Trump. But like, you know, Biden might be able to pull it out again. Like I said, Democratic Party, if anyone's going to lose, it's going to be them, which, you know, it shouldn't be a toss up. There shouldn't be doubt there. But like it's indicative of where we're at now that the Democratic Party is now finding themselves going to have to deal with like an internal schism when it comes to like not necessarily class issues or institutional politics or like the way like power and influence actually functions the trust gap that the left already have with democrats like they're going to start developing with liberals yeah. too with biden you know maybe not all of them because they've convinced a lot of them that like anything that hurts 
getting Trump out of office is basically a vote for Trump. I think uh, like, that's too optimistic. I'm keeping the numbers low. There. Well, I think like, one like, of the things that they're going to struggle with like is you're going to twenty f- people. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's going to be a significant it's electoral like, oh, shift in electoral any way, shift, shape, or form. No. I don't think it's going to be. Like- and I think what what's going to happen is you're going to pick up. You're going to see the Democratic Party over the next probably four to eight years move further right, and um, I, 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 I just don't think we have time for it. So like, even if you were taking an accelerationist mindset of, you know, okay, they're going to move further right, which is going to make people wake up and we'll have a left movement. We don't have time for it. So it's just going to be they a complete literally, failure. They literally just canceled the New York election. We talked about it before a little bit, but they literally canceled the New York election just so people could not have a backseat. Then I don't think that the Republican Party is going to shy away from calling Democratic primary fraudulent. You know, I don't. I, I yeah. think not. I think that the fear. No, they they're going to. And then if they, Trump loses, they're going to say the same thing. Well, and one of the one of the things that it also builds on is that like it, it calls into question. Well, what are you going to do about it? Like, let's say you you make these realizations that the you know Joe Biden is putting you in this position, the Democratic Party has put you in this position. What where where do you go from that politically? And it's like, oh well, maybe I got to support third parties. But it's like you just spent 2016 and up until that moment of the realization shitting on people who supported third parties. And, lying and about so it. like you have to reconcile what that means. <laughs> like yeah, and it's like and. Then you gotta, yeah, you gotta do the legwork of learning about well, which third party would I actually support if I picked one? As like, oh, that's gonna be some work. And it's like, well, what's their, what's their, what's the the dirt that's gonna come out about them when I start saying that I'm a supporter of this group? What are these liberals or what are these other leftists or what are these other groups gonna say that I'm an idiot for because I I supported this particular third party instead of that particular third party? And it's like, it becomes overwhelming. I think in a lot of ways, it's easier to just be like, well, yeah, I think it sucks, but this is the best we can well, do. If I were a conspiratorial person, I would say it's because the Democratic Party couldn't like indoctrinate its followers to like think that like well a to be like sheeple you know yeah but like to think that like if you bleat as smugly as possible like if you just like continue to suggest and argue that we should do the same thing as smugly as possible it stops sounding like stupid bullshit <laughs> Well, it doesn't sound stupid when everyone else is doing it. I mean, look at what happened with Russiagate. Everyone was fucking wrong. Everyone looked like an idiot, but they were all saying the exact same thing, and now we're just quiet about it. No one talks about it. It's done. Well, yeah, and they blocked anybody that would have been critical or dunked on Correct. them for it. So. So you had, but you had that just not even just in the media. You had people in like I, I, I mean, I hate to do the fucking overheard conversation, but you know, because I drove Uber, I overheard a lot of fucking conversations. There were plenty of people who bought into that whole thing, and bought of into course. it whole heart. No, Democrats didn't need to be told that they needed to construct like a, a Russia gate conspiracy theory to de- de- delegitimize Tara Reid. No one needed to tell them that. No one needed to like put out a memo to tell like every single person to like associate the two things together because like that was what the Democratic Party had been conditioning to do for the past three years. Right. Same thing with defending capitalism. I was going to finish. I was just going to say that it's the same thing with defending capitalism with the human nature argument, which is bullshit. Right. Continue. I mean, this is this is part of the whole thing. We, you know, we have certain concepts that become a medic and get through into the 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 natural cultural memory, and this is how it is. Like Nader cost Gore the election, right? I mean, that's patently false. It's not true. On my journey, on my journey to the left, one of the most like I don't know, shocking or whatever things was just like how consistently and frequently, when I actually bothered to research into something that I had just accepted as truth, it just the supporting evidence was just either non-existent or contrary to what the story I had accepted as truth was, and it was just like that's 
that's unsettling. (laughs) And that's why I say, you know, that's why I have no fucking sympathy because like, yeah, living with this type of information that we, we've graced ourselves with is uncomfortable. It's not pleasant. It makes you reexamine almost every aspect of your life lived up until this point. But you know, what would you rather do? I mean, would you rather live comfortably in a lie or would you rather know what the fuck is going on? And, you know, even if the lie isn't necessary, like even if the lie is a super huge lie, great. But what if it's just like a small lie, you know, like at which point do you, are you, you making the, the excuse that, oh, okay, well I'm okay with this level of falsehood within my own world. And I just don't know. And not everybody, but a lot of people make these realizations because they finally have the time to do the kind of thinking that we were talking about happening during the quarantine yeah. time is on their deathbed. And you don't want to realize on your deathbed the life that you lived was like horrific and violent and terrible yeah. and like and not be able to do anything about it because you're on your deathbed. Right. But I mean, like even now, like the the actions that most Americans get take, I mean, we literally are having the largest transfer of wealth in history to the 1%. And, you know, people are cheering it fucking on. Like, uh, it's crazy. Well, yeah, but it goes back to the media problem, too, because liberal media has given people the opinion that direct action of any kind that's not, like, explicitly sanctioned by Democratic Party, a la the Women's March, is incompatible with democracy or rather it's not incompatible it, it's laughable like it's something to be derided or you know to find derision in because the you know the democratic party elite is absolutely terrified that they might have to deal with the same kind of uprising that the tea party presented in their party or even just generally the they're terrified of the idea of democracy you know like they're terrified the, of the idea of actual democracy which is you know a uh, kind of sad given their name and also a stated purpose but like the democratic party i think their base is much more has taken much more to the idea that like voting is the only way or like you know not the smallest but it's the only true or the most important way to engage in democracy and you know like everything else is just like the realm of like fanciful idealism and childhood and unicorns and ponies and that's not the way real changes happen because in their mindset you know historically speaking it's like change and social change has happened by like people politely asking for it uh through you know rhetoric or symbols or like symbolic gestures like marches never any violence or whatever and then like government like government officials like politicians who are yeah, always, great man of history yeah like, I, I, no not a great man of history but like the government specifically you know like, civil rights was achieved by Martin Luther King Jr. asking for it nicely and like the you know Congress reifying the rights you know like, that was basically yeah it. it's the Civil Rights Act it wasn't any of the protests or anything it was the Civil Rights right. Act that but gave it to him that's the that's the West Wingification of politics that I mean all these people fucking believe in because Sorkin poisoned everyone's brain absolutely it's, I mean so like the idea that they might have to take the streets is laughable i mean again you know i don't think that i think many of them have really you know not only drank the kool-aid but like really have taken the danger of trump which is a very real danger to of to a very dark place that i I would argue is indistinguishable from like incredible nihilism and pessimism about like the possibility of any like having any political imagination much less like even not even like political imagination to think outside of like capitalism generally speaking but like the political imagination to think outside of like the like a dead end road of like this of these two zombie parties in the like, constant ebb and flow uh is is a little bit stark and tragic uh but 
you know, like that, you know, I, I bring it up because like I, I, I talk, bring back up like the the right to work protest. I, I hear liberals laughing at that too. I mean, again, but like, you know, it's silly, but those people might get their way. Oh yeah. Well, the thing is, is that the what they're asking for is something that uh, apparently liberals don't realize, at least the rank and file, that the Democratic governors are going to eventually get on board to with too, uh, for a lot of the reasons we talked about earlier, and uh, especially just because they know that they can't rely on Trump to bail out their states. And so they're just going to look even worse as governors or legislatures at, at the state level when they didn't account for the lack of federal response. They're not going to just be able to point to Trump and explain it all the way that way. And they'll face challengers both from the left and the right locally at the state and local levels. And like they're th so there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to open up as well. And they're going to try and spin it in a way that it seems sensible and reasonable and rational. But I'll tell like from what I've been looking at from my, in my estimation of the, the information that's available is it's only going it, like it's going to make everything worse also, we flatten the curve so high and there's just so many people in this country that it, it's very it's quite realistic that uh, we'll see a thousand plus deaths for like several weeks, months to come. And e whether we open up or not, and if we open up, it's just going to increase where that plateau is when we shut back down. Yeah, I mean, the, the second wave is going to hit us like a fucking tsunami, uh, essentially, you know, and like that's people have been very, I don't know why people have been very, very, very like hyper fixated on like the idea of the peak. It's like, okay. It's like, it's not a peak, it's a plateau. And it's at 30,000 is about where we're at, about 30, between 20 and 30,000 new cases a day. And that's with all of these shutdowns. If you, any, any re, re, like reduction in those shutdowns turns that daily infection number up from 20 to 30,000 a day, like 20 to 30,000 a day for the rest of the year is what we're trying to keep at this point, because reducing it back down to where we can actually trace the, do contact tracing and do all those kind of things, it's pretty much gone out the door other than if we do a massive invasive data operation which is uh, which they want to do anyway yeah. and they're planning on doing yeah and i mean they've already started doing it implicitly with like track with google passing along uh quote anonymized uh, data yeah, but like they're gonna have more uh, aggressive opt-in and so on and so forth and then i wouldn't be surprised it's like oh you want to go inside this place you have to have this app that demonstrates that you're part oh, of Dylan this group Radigan that's been screened through these processes exactly or whatever the other and, day where you carry around like an authenticator key that shows that you've been screened for this process on your phone but as like a sale he was trying to sell it just as a final thought i will say right Oh yeah, they won't give it away. You have to pay for it too. Go ahead. I mean, yeah, they're, they're gonna like you. It's funny, like in uh, you know, in, in dystopian future movies, like you, like they used to just tag you and like for like the government would like dystopian future movies, or rather dystopian movies in the past, and like classic dystopian movies could not even imagine the fact that like people would be paying to yeah, get themselves tagged. The like not even the government would like mandate you be tagged in monitoring <laughs> you. It's like people are literally like paying, like they're like pre-ordering, getting tagged, right. standing in line for the tagging. special Apple brand. Tag. <laughs> tag because they get like a special like dongle so would you say that special, like, dongle deal if they like if they're the first people to get their I don't know what it is at this point man I mean honestly like dealing with these people like, 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 every day I wake up in like a fucking rage the moment someone talks to me it's like it's, 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 it's hard to have like honestly I joke about flat earth theory because like, it's funny but like it's hard to have like uh it's hard to have a lot of 
respect when you talk no. to liberals because they just don't even seem to operate in the real world. Sometimes it's like it's like they it's like they just have opinions about the way things <laughs> function that are that is so that divorced from how they actually no function sympathy. that it's hard to like it's it's almost like talking. Oh, so quickly, I just mm-hmm. it's so much fun. It's so much like Trump in that like when he was musing out loud about bleach and disinfectants and then like sees the like backlash is like wait I was just a a guy a white guy with an idea that said it out loud. I thought everybody was gonna like fawn over it and then these liberals are suffering from the same thing. It's like they're just surprised when people don't think the the gibberish that they say is is like good or makes sense or rationalizes their decision making behavior is, is it's just mind blowing it's i so frustrating I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean that's like that's why i say that like conspiracy is it's a loaded term but like because really it's just like the people who like expose themselves to like op-ed sections in fucking msnbc are so prone to conspiratorial thinking it's like they it's like all like all they want is to be the smartest person in the room and it's not as though like they're hearing like objective facts about the world they're hearing a very particular worldview heavily incentivized by the people who tend to hold it but it's a minority worldview and like and the more it then the more derailed the democratic party and their line media apparatus gets from like the objective truth that people can see with their own two eyes and i don't mean that like in like a disingenuous like you know the, the truth but like you know things just like oh yeah you know like, see I don't the documents, vote folks. we gotta see the documents it's just like I don't want to vote for it. like the people who the people who like think that like taking to the streets is fucking stupid. You know, all you can do is vote, but they're like, I don't want to vote for a rapist, my man. It's just like you know, like I, I don't feel comfortable with that. You know, like that, it's like stuff like that. You know, like ah, uh, purists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that doesn't work here. We can't stand your purity tests. <laughs> I was gonna make an inappropriate purity test joke, but I, I reserved myself from that. <laughs> oh, come on, do it, do it, do it! I know, I know what joke you're trying to make, and instead of making, it, I'm going to turn this fucking show off. Uh, <laughs>